joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous. And my guest today on the show is Bill Matthews. And let me tell you just a little bit about Bill. He's the author of a book on managing change, a regular contributor to the Consumer Electronic Trade publication called Twice, and a business planning consultant. His company, Coyote Insight, helps corporate teams and individuals break through obstacles to change, innovation, and growth. And Bill founded, um, in 1986, Bill founded what was to become the largest independent marketing research database marketing company in consumer electronics and high-tech fields. And by the time he sold it in 1997, the Verity Group employed 400-plus people at its California and Costa Rica offices. Now, what, what makes Bill special to the show today is because we all have difficulties talking about change and not only talking about it, but actually incorporating change into our lives. Some people roll with the flow, but most people have a little bit of difficulty with change. And it can be quite stressful to some people because they get, you know, set in their ways and and when they have to change something, it it can create a lot of internal stress. And so with that, I want to just welcome Bill to the show. And um, we're going to learn about how we can better handle this so that we can both change in our personal and professional lives. So welcome to the show, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Rochelle. Thank you very much. Um, I uh, appreciate being on. We are very happy to have you because um, this is a big deal for people when it comes to any kind of changes in life. Um, Like I said in the intro, you know, a lot of people have difficulties with it, and those that don't have too much difficulties, even if they do, they don't really want to admit it. So I just want to jump right in because this is really an intriguing subject for me because I have issues around change sometimes myself. Um, can you really, really manage change? Or let me put it this way. I'm going to back up a bit. How about this? Why? Is it so difficult for people to manage change? Well, you know, and I'll even answer that first question you posed. You can, <laughs> but it's all about it's all about setting expectations. You know, there there is no way any of us can manage change in the majority of times. Certainly, nothing approaching all the time. But even little incremental improvements in what we do can make a big, big difference. So. As to why it's so difficult, I think in part because most people, myself included, until about uh, five years ago, never thought about it to the degree I certainly have in the last five years. And we sort of blissfully go on. We are reactive to change. We're not proactive about change. We don't worry about issues until they present themselves. Um, The solutions, this is the good news, the solutions are really quite simple. 
the bad news is that implementing them are, are fairly difficult for most people, myself included. So that's kind of the short answer, but the benefits to, to come from having made the attempt in the first place can be extraordinary. Oh, okay. So um, now, is, can a person really, I mean, I know if you have a, well, I know if you have an approach to managing change that, you know, works and that might be beneficial to to that person, can they really manage it or does it just kind of happen? Well, again, for most people, most of the time, change just happens, and then we react. You know, we take action. Um, However, really what it comes down to is anticipating the changes that are going to present themselves anyway. You know what? This this is a point that I think a lot of people living in the southeast can can relate to, you know, particularly during hurricane season. You realize when those uh, hurricanes start coming up through the Gulf, you live in uh, Florida, uh, anywhere down that way, that the potential for change, significant change to affect you, is immediate and real. If you live in the Midwest, you know, when uh, tornadoes are are prevalent, you understand that change uh, in a matter of minutes in some cases is inevitable. And you likely take steps to to address that ahead of of it happening. But all the other changes that present themselves to us uh, are not as apparent. We don't think about them as much. And they can be fairly mundane, but in other cases they're far more complex, like the need to change a job uh, because something's happening to your company or the way you're viewed within the company. Um, things like that are, are the real, real world stuff that we can take action on ahead of time if we think about them before they actually occur. And that's just something most people don't take the, take the time to do. Now, how do you think most people really feel about change? I mean, is there a sense of ambivalence? Is there a sense of welcome? Is there a sense of, I don't know, you know, a, a fear? How do you think most people handle that? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be facetious, <laughs> but everything you said, as a matter of fact, uh, that was a great setup. Uh, when I decided to, to explore as, as deeply into this as, I, as I've since gone, which was four or five years ago now when, when it all started to happen, one of the first things I decided to do, and I'm so glad I did, was I commissioned uh, original research with 514 adults living in the United States, proportionally representative of the uh, census, meaning that, you know, we didn't get, you know, we got the right number of men, the right number of women, the right number of age groups, where they lived, all that sort of thing. And I was posing questions just like you did. You know, how do you feel? Does this describe you? Uh, I fear change happening. Too much change happening all at once scares me. I embrace change. I love change. I this change. I that change. And so uh, what I saw was you can quantify this, and I'm sure it's true of the general population, uh, you know, that you have something in the order of about 28% who said they fear change. And we'll get back to that number in a second or what that means, but obviously what it means to those people, that 28% is, is very significant because they deal with it every day. They don't, if they could just wave the magic wand and have nothing change, that is what they do. But there is no magic wand. Everything is changing. It's, it's the only, I always love that the quote, and it's not my quote, but change is the only constant in our lives. And how ironic is that? But it is absolutely true. That's true. I mean, you know, uh, we experience we experience change every minute, every second of the day, and we don't even realize it uh, for the most part because you know there's a change in temperature, there's a change in time, there's a change in weather, you know, and we just kind of roll with that. But when it's something, I think that 
you know, someone, say, like at work or, you know, family or whatever, where it's something that is just uh, something that they have to deal with and that just doesn't happen automatically, I think maybe that might incite the the four-little word of fear uh, in a lot of people. What are your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely, and I'm going to kind of transition this over because of you saying, you mentioning work. That that was really the connection I made, and, and let me just kind of back up and, and say that, to be very honest, and this is with all due respect to you and your audience and the show that, that, you, you know, that you put on, this is probably not a venue I ever would have envisioned to have this discussion in prior to me thinking about change as a business planning consultant four or five years ago. Because I looked at that and thought, well, I'm, I'm a business guy and I do business planning and that's real scientific and all the rest of that stuff. But to, to cut to the chase in exploring uh, about all of this, and, and it all started with wondering why businesses were doing no better than they are achieving their goals, which, by the way, for the benefit of your listeners, and this comes from independent research done by IBM Global Business Services as well as McKinsey and Company, who found almost exactly the same result. Almost two-thirds of all business goals are failed, or, or they fail to achieve them. So we've got a 60% failure rate within business, and I was asking myself, why is that? Because to be honest, it wasn't any better for my clients than it was for anybody else. And the, the short answer, but it is the crux of the matter is, and this will come as no surprise, business is people. Everybody, all these employees that are employed in all these businesses, regardless of their degrees and how much education they have, if they're not capable of doing their jobs, then the goals are not going to be achieved. And the center point of why they weren't able to achieve to, to do what they're supposed to be doing, is their own personal issues and problems. You know, if you're coming to work and you're worried about your child's substance abuse, uh, your own substance abuse, that of a spouse or someone you, you live with or care about, if you're worrying about financial difficulties, if you're worrying about health, if you're worrying about a fight you're having with a neighbor, whatever, your ability to come to work and put all that aside and focus on the, the work issues and problems is greatly compromised. And business, in my opinion, does not recognize that nearly as much as they should. And I know I didn't before I got to where I am today and, you know, and now as, as a result of having written this book. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. You never know what people are dealing with that you're working with, you know, beyond that scope of, out, you know, work. Um, it, it, it does make um, things a little bit more interesting and I don't know if interesting is the correct word, but it does make it, I would say, a little bit more challenging because if you're working in a large company, a large corporation, and this is for you listeners out there that, you know, are working for a company or you, you work for someone else, you never know what's going on in the personal lives of that person. And and sometimes it may exhibit um, as that person being a little bit difficult to deal with or not being what we call, quote, unquote, a team player. But I do believe that companies fail to really incorporate um, the overall health, uh, wellness of the state of the individuals that are under their employment. They basically just want them to to produce and to achieve those goals that are set forth for the department or the company. And um, I think a lot more has to go into really looking at the aspect of the overall health of the individuals because when people are healthy and well and functioning and have the ability to deal with stresses or whatever may be going on in their personal lives, um, that helps to elevate 
the whole team, so to speak, and, and make it a bit more functionally so that they can achieve their goals. So I'm glad you brought that up because I know there's a lot of people out there in various situations that go to work and, and they have stuff going on and it just, you know, it just becomes a little bit tedious and tenuous for them to deal with, especially when there's a change at work and they're dealing with change in their personal lives. Um, now, why do you think people fear change? Well, you know, that, that's a hard question to answer, and I really can't say. I, I quantified how many people fear it. Uh, some don't. I mean, a, a fair number of people, nowhere near a majority, but a fair number actually embrace it. I'm one of those people. I, I enjoy the, the whole concept of change and knowing that things will be different, and my task is to, to deal with that reality. Uh, not everybody feels that way. I, my wife is an example of a person who is not of that same mind. You know, she would much prefer to know what her, her situation is, her status quo, and, and to live with it. Kind of goes back to that old saying about, you know, preferring the devil you know versus the one you don't. And that's <laughs> simply to say that no matter how bad my situation might be, I, I might be able to improve it, but I'm actually more afraid of it becoming worse than I am what it is. And that, that fits a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I want to I kind of bounce back and forth here and say that, well, I took the conversation off to the company, and, and maybe a lot of your listeners aren't in that situation. When I go into meetings for planning purposes, I never used to do this. Now I do it all the time. I look around the room to however many people are in that room, and I sit there and wonder what's going on in their lives. What mm-hmm. problems do they have? What issues are they confronting? Are they worried about? Because I realize to the extent they're there, and they are for everybody to varying degrees at varying times, they're going to be compromised in terms of their ability to do what we need them to do in this meeting. Now, there's a, there are very big limits to what a company can do, but the company should acknowledge to themselves that when they start out, they don't have the full participation of everybody all the time. It just isn't going to happen. Now, go to the home and just presume for the moment that there's no company to talk about, there's no employees. We have this family unit of mom and dad or mom alone or dad alone and you know X number of kids in the house and you're sitting around the kitchen table. To me, it's the same as that conference room table. There are things and issues on each of these individuals' minds, whether it's school, whether it's um, you know, financial issues or health or whatever, that's not necessarily going to get spoken about at that dinner or at that breakfast or whatever, but they play on their minds, and it affects their ability to be a, an effective family member. So starting with acknowledging that this is reality, that this is true for all of us, that's the first step before you then try to move on and attempt to deal with this. And all of that together is what I talk about when I talk about dealing with change. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, 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 I like that. It, it does bring an interesting insight to the whole realm of you know, change and what could be happening in the minds of those that are involved in the the whole entire process, whether it's family or at work or could be church or community or whatever. Um, it does make it interesting. I mean, I've I've seen, um, I've sat on a couple of boards and, and have seen uh, when things change, whether it's a board member coming on or going off, there's this ambivalence, so to speak, about, you know, what is this person bringing or what is this person taking away, Um it, it just changes just a very interesting thing, you know, even from the aspect of when you go to the doctor and they decide to change your medication, 
you know, whatever that may be. I'm just going to pick out high blood pressure. You know, you're on a medicine that's not working, and the doctor change it or add something to it so it makes it a little bit bit of a change for you. There's a little bit of fear and ambivalence behind that because you're thinking, gee, you know, is this going to work or, you know, is this just another medication I'm going to take that's going to pre- precipitate me having to take something else? And so, you know, or even just finding daycare for your kids. You know, you were happy with one person taking care of your kids and that person's no longer doing it and now you have to find another one and the, the whole change involves the whole family, that, you know, the whole family getting involved in that can be quite, um, you know, quite uh, challenging, you know, for for those all, that are involved in that. Now, isn't change managed? Okay, so let me let me go back here. How uh, how how would one or would you say that there's a management process that someone should take with regards to handling change? I mean, whether it's personal or business. Is there a process that they should handle or, I mean, have or go through, or, and can it be the same or different? Yeah, and that's, that's an excellent question, and I address that at length in the book. And, you know, and, and it comes down to this. Initially, before I got as deep into this as I have now become, and but way before I really realized the personal connection, uh, I wondered, too, well, okay, is the process we should use to, to manage change within business, the same or similar or completely dissimilar to that which we use in our personal lives. And first of all, part of the preparation and the exploration I, I did in, for this project myself was to read all the books I possibly could find that I could deal with on change management. And there are libraries filled with them out there. And kind of like you know most things in life, it's a pyramid. At the base of the pyramid, there's a lot of stuff not worth your time or money. But as you come up the pyramid, you find things that are, that are very interesting. And that process is, is said in many different ways, but it's pretty clear, and I'll outline it for you in just a second. When you look on the personal side of it, however, we use t- completely different terms. And, in, and first of all, the category is, is something different. We refer to it as self-help. And you can imagine all the different books and all the topics that are written about things to make you a better person. The language is different. But I think it comes down to much the same thing, and it's, and it's this. And this is the, the simple part of it, which I said is then difficult to execute. First of all, you've got to decide what is it you want to change. And another way to call that is to, to establish a goal. What do you want to do? You want to lose 20 pounds? You want to stop smoking? You want to cut down on substance abuse, whatever you might be doing? Do you want to uh, improve your mind? Do you want to travel to China? Uh, you name it, whatever it is, establish the goal. The second, question, the second step then is to decide specifically how are you going to do that. Now, there's a, that's, that's, a, that's thin ice, I guess, because the how is extremely important, and it means very serious thought about the detail of what you're going to need to do. The third step of that is going to be uh, who's going to do whatever needs to be done. And the first thing to consider, whether it's weight loss or improving your financial situation, is more than likely you shouldn't be attempting this by yourself. You know, there's, there's other people out there you're going to need support from or help from, some of which you may have to pay for. The next step is the timing to get each of these individual steps done. And uh, because you need to think about that from the timing. Sometimes getting something done late is no different than if you'd never done it at all. The final step is who is responsible for each of these steps. 
So there are, there are five issues, whether we're in business, planning for business, or whether we're talking about losing weight at home or painting a room, it doesn't matter. Those are essentially the five things that you need to do. Doing them right, starting with establishing that goal, is the, t- is the tough part. So um, with regards, I'm, I just was writing them down, uh, the steps for, you know, change management, because I think it's, I think it's, and I think, um, you know, people need to understand that it can be done, but there's a process, and it, you can do it successfully, which you just laid out the steps on how to do it successfully, and it actually does hold that person accountable. And for each step that they're doing, um, you know, they can see, you know, they can they can see, and they, don't ha- they can do it, in, and they can break those steps down into smaller chunks if they need to, such as, like, you know, you said step number two, um, how are you going to do it well if you want to lose weight you know you and you've tried in the past you may think about well you know maybe I might need to incorporate an accountability partner um, or you know someone to help me uh, that has a little bit more knowledge behind that or whatever the case may be but it, it, you've laid it out for people so that they can pretty much um, hold themselves accountable but also see and take they can take the steps, big or small, that they need to take, but also see uh, the result of that as they're going through the process. And I think that's a beautiful thing because a lot of times people just jump in and do stuff and, you know, make a change. And it's, I know this happens a lot in corporations because I'm pretty familiar with cor- the corporate world. Um, and they just do stuff, and they don't get the input of anybody that's involved in the process of what they're changing to do and realize, wow, I, we incorporated this, we we strategized, we sat here and planned this out, and gee, why isn't it working? You know, why isn't it working? Well, because you pretty much may or may have not gone through these steps, but you didn't incorporate the people into it that actually has to make the change happen. So um, I like the way you broke that down. Now, when we talk about change, what exactly are we talking about? Well, is it changing? The, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in the strictest sense, we're we're identifying something for what it currently is, and then we're identifying what we want it or us to become, and you know, which is again setting a goal, and then we're going to attempt to move from point A to point B, and that moving from point A to point B are those steps I was talking about in terms of how we're going to facilitate it. So. I think, in essence, that is what change is about. Now, sometimes that description I just gave you was you taking a proactive approach. And if we were talking about weight, you're going to, you're going to move from weighing X to less than X. But sometimes the change is thrust upon you. You show up at work on a Monday morning. The boss calls you in and says, you know, we're going to have to cut back. Things haven't been going well. And you've got two weeks and you're out of here. I'm, I'm sorry it's going to have to be that way. If you weren't thinking about this, if this caught you totally unaware, as it, as it can at certain cases, there's an example of change thrust upon you. Someone's handed you a new goal. You're going to have to find a new job. Now, I'd like to think in many cases, if you're paying attention, you're not completely surprised you have an inkling of this coming, and you could have been thinking about what happens if this were to happen or if I just want it to be different, whatever. But, you know, it can be uninitiated, unself-initiated change, or what you want to do as much as you possibly can is attempt to see when a change might be forthcoming and react ahead of time rather than uh, after the fact. Mm. 
I, I, I agree. Um, what would you say causes change to happen? In fact, it's what I think, what's what I've referred to in the book as triggers. And things trigger. For example, to use that weather example I was talking about earlier, if you live in South Florida, if you live in the Midwest somewhere during hurricane or tornado season, uh, someone other than me is going to have to tell you what causes tornadoes and hurricanes. But, <laughs> but we do know they happen. You know, that we do know those things are triggered from outside. That's not something that we have any control over. Uh, I could be sitting at home and saying, gosh, I weigh too much. I need to do something about that. My doctor's been telling me for a long time, and I, I got to do something. You know, so that's me thinking about it and deciding finally. Notice that the way I described that, the doctor had been telling this person, "You're going to mm-hmm. need to make a change," and apparently it didn't happen. And then for whatever reason, you know, it's it's in your subconscious. You think about it. You know, the family might have been encouraging you, whatever. Finally, you decide. You know, I've got to do something. Well, that part's good, but it's the least of the equation. The most of the equation, and when you were using the example of, using, of losing weight, you know, one of the things I, most people who need to lose weight or many who need to lose weight have made attempts and have failed. So the first thing I would encourage that person to do the next time they decide it's time to do something is to go back over all of the other previous attempts and meticulously you know, come up with the reasons that they failed. I think it's Einstein, Albert Einstein, who said something about the definition of insanity is continuing to do something, expecting a different outcome than occurred in the past. And, you know, how many times have people attempted to stop smoking or attempted to lose weight and approached those goals the same way they have in the past and failed in the past, and yet they expect they're going to work this time? The answer is they probably aren't. So the first thing I would do is to look back at that and try to understand what I was doing, more importantly, understand why it did not work, and make it clear to myself that I won't be doing that. There's got to be a different way. Hmm. Very nice. Very nicely put. Now, I want to ask you um, this question, and this is just something within me. Would you say change leads to growth in a positive manner most of the time? No, I don't, and for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of change fails, but it fails not because the the right change was never possible, but the wrong goal was identified. I I describe an individual in the book that I'll briefly describe to you now. He had been married for some time, uh, about seven to ten years, and toward the end of the marriage was unhappy and went through a process that had him conclude that he needed to get a divorce. And if he got a divorce, he would be happy. I'm shortchanging the discussion, but that was essentially what he had in mind. He went through the process of a divorce. He moved into a, you know, a large apartment complex with the pool and the game room and all the rest of that that had a number of other singles living in it. It had marriages as well, but certainly a number of other singles. Mm-hmm. And I'd known him some, for some time and, Shortly after he moved in, I was talking with him, and he was very happy. He said, yep, best thing I ever did. I'm so glad I did this, and, you know, the marriage wasn't working out, and this is wonderful new life, et cetera. I saw him some months later, probably three months later, and the same guy who was happy was no longer happy. Mm. In fact, to the point of really doubting whether or not he ever should have got a divorce. Now, looking at it and having and having some other knowledge about this particular individual, in my opinion, he set the wrong goal. 
he established the goal of divorce, assuming that would make him happy. He was unhappy for other reasons. He should have set a different goal, and yet he didn't realize it until it was too late. And obviously he created a number of other problems, not just for him, but for his, his family, his wife, uh, and he still ended up unhappy. So does change lead to growth? Not always. You know, you can go ahead and set a goal and decide you want to do something, whether it's change your job, uh, losing weight, uh, moving across country, whatever it might be. You get there, you've done everything you said you were going to do, and yet it doesn't produce the desired result, whatever that result is. That, to me, is an example of change, but it's not change that ends up in a, a positive way. Mm, that's, a, that's an interesting it's an interesting take on it because in actuality, even though he made the change and it was great in the beginning because it was something different, something new, amazingly, when you saw him those few months later, it was still something different, it was still new, but he still wasn't happy. So in reality, the change needed to occur within him for him to find happiness, whatever that may be, and he had projected it externally outside of him. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, sometimes, and, and every, we all do this. I, I'm certainly mm-hmm. every bit as guilty as anybody else. But, you know, we'll quickly look at a situation. We'll quickly come up with conclusions about it. We will establish a goal, and we'll do it. Now, And, and we don't, quite frankly, we don't go through these elaborate planning exercises to make this stuff happen. Sometimes we just do what we do. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 would, it absolutely is mandatory, whatever it is, if you first stop and really examine what it is you're talking about doing. Now, let me give you some examples where I don't think that's as critical. You got longer hair and you decide I need a short haircut and you know, you think about it for a week or two weeks, you ask some friends and bang, you go down and you have your hair cut and you look at yourself in the mirror and you decide, no, this isn't it, this was a mistake. Your hair will grow back. It's not the end of the world. But when you start talking about divorce, you know, when you start talking about um, taking some radical approach or what most would consider to be a radical approach to your health or, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna move and and down to Costa Rica and live my life in Costa Rica. These are things that really need to be considered at length, and a lot of input should be brought into this process. No matter how much confidence you have in your ability, we're talking about major change in those cases, and that's the stuff that I would really think long and hard about. Yeah, you know, I I know people who have actually done that, relocated, uh, you know, thinking, that it's this place I live in and, you know, everything's so stagnant and, you know, there's no growth, there's no opportunity, there's, you know, and then they, oh, but I went to, you know, Tucson, Arizona, and it was beautiful and I had a great time and, you know, there seemed like there's growth and, you know, unlimited possibilities. And then they up and move, you know, after, you know, one or two visits. And then they get to Tucson and it's like, oh, my God, Tucson is so stale, it's so stagnant, it's hot. I should have never left the green hills of, you know, Northern California or wherever. Yeah. And it's just and it's just like, you know, and I I've seen this with people and it's just like maybe you need to realize you maybe you need to explore what's going on inside you that you need to change because you're thinking it's external and you're thinking it's the place or it's that or it's this. You're projecting it outward, but really it's something inside you and you maybe need to explore that. So it does become quite interesting when, you know, we all have experienced stuff like that. I mean, you know, you cut your hair, you regret it, you know, I thought Mm -hmm. that haircut would look really cute on me and then, but it'll grow back, you know, or, 
you invest, and I know this with a lot of business people and a lot of entrepreneurs, I do a lot of speaking and, and I'm at a lot of conferences, and people will invest a lot of money in various programs that they think are going to help change their business and elevate it to whatever, just to find out that, no, that program that you spent all that money on, it really, it really doesn't have the wherewithal to change your business. You really need to look at your, your business objectives and see what inside you already exist that you need to change. It's not, some, not another new program and not another, you know, plunking money down on something else. It's really just taking a look at what's going on, and you, will, you can figure it out. Sometimes you may need someone to help you, but, you know, you can figure it out. But it, it just becomes an interesting thing when people, you know, it's like the uh, – you know, the movie where, I, I forget the name of the movie, but, you know, they're, it's about animals and, and they're all running and then there's a squirrel and they're like, squirrel, and they all go, whatever they were chasing after, they just get distracted because they see something different that is, you know, a change for them. And then they realize, why are we chasing the squirrel when we're chasing the rabbit or whatever, you know? And it's exactly. Like, it's just a funny little thing. So um, now I want to say or ask you, why, oh, you know what? Hold on, I forgot. I have um, it's our sponsor time, and I want to really acknowledge our sponsor. So I will get back to the question I have in just a minute, Bill. But I want to acknowledge the sponsor that we have, which is called Twenty One Drops. And Twenty One Drops is an essential oil company, and they specialize in making beautiful blends of essential oils. Um, and they treat they, they say their model is that they have. 21 blends of essential oil solutions that treat anything from headache to heartache. Now, what makes this this company, 21 Drops, so very special is that they know that essential oils are the root of it all, benefiting the mind, body, and spirit. And they know that when these molecules, um, these highly concentrated molecules, are extracted from the various parts of the plant, such as the flower, leaves, woods, or fruit of the plant, they have this very interesting thing that happens, which um, represents the plants, both its immune system and its survival mechanisms. Now, why we should be paying attention to this is because man and plants have a, uh, basically evolved alongside each other here on Earth for many thousands of years. And what is known is that once us humans absorb the beautiful essence of these essential oils into our body via uh, inhaling them or ingesting them or um, or diffusing them. Uh, when they get into our bloodstream, they interact with our body and they create balance and wellness. And that is the science of what aromatherapy is all about. Now, at 21 Drops, they source their essential oils from organically grown herbs and plants that are collected sustainably from all over the globe from very highly qualified distillers and they take these essential oils and they make their custom blends, again, to treat anything from headache to heartache. 21 Drops captures the incredible power of these pure essential oils for our, for our, our therapeutic purposes. But what they believe is that when they're doing this and they're sharing these wonderful essential oils with their friends, they're not only empowering their friends, but they also feel that they empower their customers as well to feel better and be better. So if you're looking for an essential oil or you're looking for a specific blend to helpfully treat a a specific problem that you might have, such as a headache, uh, you will want to check out 21 Drops. And how you can find out more about them is just go to their website. It's 21 
drops.com. That's the number 21, the word drops with an S, dot com. And I guarantee you won't be disappointed from the fabulous quality and therapeutic grades of essential oils that they carry. Now, Bill, back to you. Why do some people feel change is bad and why do other people look forward to it? I really can't answer that question. You know, I did quantify how, how many there you. were in, in each group. <laughs> I can tr- I can try, but I really don't know. Other than to say that, well, you know, let me use myself as an example. I, I recall a number of years ago in that company you were talking about that, you know, 400-plus employees. And one day, uh, my then, at that time, major piece of business that was worth uh, about a million to a year uh, just upped and was gone. Uh, they had issues internally, and they had to stop the project, and that was it. And I got that news on a Friday. And I was coincidentally meeting my wife and my uh, sister-in-law and her husband and my in-laws for dinner that night. So I'm to show up at this restaurant. I've gotten this news at work. As far as I know, my business is devastated as a result of this. And I, you know, I've got to put on the brave face and go to uh, this dinner. As I'm walking in from the parking lot, my sister-in-law, not my wife, interestingly, picked up on it and said, there's something wrong, isn't there? And I said, well, yeah, you could say that. But I said, I don't, want to, I don't want to think about it right now. I want to go in and have a Cadillac margarita right now. So at any rate, she picked up on it. And throughout that dinner, I was really fretting about this. The next day, I got out a pad and a pen and my financials that I'd brought home with me. And I sat there and I started analyzing this business as I really hadn't done before. And the reality of it was the profit was simply not there. The top line was the profit wasn't the bottom line. So the business was not really hurt and, in fact, arguably was helped by it going away. And with that information, I felt immensely better. I spent the rest of the weekend creating plans to deal with this, and uh, life was good. And things went on and, and, and turned out much better. Now, there's two points to that story. I wasn't anticipating change in my business as it pertained to that account, and I certainly should have been because it was the biggest piece of business we had. And had I done so earlier, I might have terminated the business. If I had done the analysis that was forced upon me, I might have actually decided, we don't need this. We shouldn't be doing it. But I sat there and waited, and then all of a sudden when it fell down, I had to take action, and I felt better. Now, what made me feel better was the taking action. It was dealing with the issue. Let's turn this back to the person who has to lose weight again. If you're sitting there and you weigh way more than you should, where you know it's compromising your health. Not only is that physically bad for you, but it's mentally bad for you because you know you need to do something about it. And you're, you're, whether you're knowing it or not, you're, you're feeling bad, not just because of the weight, but because you're not taking an action. If you step up and start to do something that's of consequence, you'll at least solve one of those problems, and that's how you feel about it uh, emotionally. And more than likely, if, you're, if you have the right plan, you'll actually do something about it physically as well. And all of that comes because you were proactive about a change you needed to make. Uh, very well said. I, I, I agree 100%. Um, yeah, I <laughs> can't add anything, so let me ask another question. <laughs> sure, my pleasure. Now, what prevents positive change from happening? Well, I think right off the bat, if we don't do anything, if if we're reactive. Now, let's take that example I gave about my business thing. 
maybe it was, I was blessed that that happened to me on a Friday afternoon because I had the weekend to, to focus on it. And I'm proactive enough that even though I should have been anticipating this ahead of time, I didn't. As soon as it, it became apparent that I had a problem, I sat down immediately, or at least you know, the next morning on Saturday, and started going through the steps that made this not the problem I thought it was. Now, if I had done nothing and just went back to work on Monday, aside from the fact that I would have had a horrible weekend, how was I going to run that business come Monday? What was going to be different? You know, and the answer probably would have been, if it had been nothing, then I wouldn't have been around long enough to grow the business to 400 people because it would have, you know, it would have died. So I think a lot of times it's simply because we don't take action, either beforehand or worse yet, after when the problem presents itself. So again, if, if we're kind of showing this in the example of both work and our personal lives, in that work situation, as soon as I knew I had a problem, I took action. Better if I had anticipated what if and taken the action before, but nonetheless, at least did it when I, when I knew I had an issue. If this is about weight loss, if this is about stopping smoking, if this is about improving a personal relationship that is not going well, sooner is always better. Stopping and trying to get to the heart of the matter to figure out what is the issue. And, and I want to quickly add to that, whatever it is of a personal nature, you cannot dismiss yourself as being part of the problem and certainly being part of the solution. If this is a personal problem we're having with our spouse or significant other, if you can't stop and immediately acknowledge, well, you may not know what it is, but if you can't acknowledge that you have created part of this problem, this other person as well, but you have as well, you're probably not going to come up with a solution. You have to look at yourself as being at the center of whatever problems you're experiencing. Mm. Well, well said. Very well said. Um, now, you know, I we I have listeners on here that you know, of course, work and have businesses, and then I have listeners on here that are you know entrepreneurial, and then I have listeners that are just you know regular old people just listening to the show. What would you say is the difference between how you handle change in business versus how you handle change in your personal life? Well, I, I really do think that the steps that we talked about earlier are the same. And I was really glad to conclude that that was true because, you know what, it's tough enough to, to learn how to manage change effectively in your business life. If we had to learn some other method in our personal lives, or, or even worse, the method I needed to learn was different than the method you needed to learn, which is different than the method one of your listeners needs to learn, how bad is that? I mean, that, that really would be discouraging. But fortunately, that's not the case. The steps are pretty simple you know, to understand. What do I want to do? How am I going to do it? What's it going to cost? When is it going to get done? And who's going to do it? I mean, it's as simple as that. But the devil is in those details. You really do need to get each and every one of those right. I don't care if you're losing 20 pounds or attempting to open a factory in China. The steps are the same. And I, I think practicing that whenever you possibly can is, is good to do. And let me give you a, a quick example. If you're going to go on vacation, and let's say it's a family vacation to the Grand Canyon, you know, uh, then there are, those steps all, all apply. Now, you don't sit down necessarily and write it all out, but you'd probably improve some aspects of the vacation if you gave more thought to it than a lot of us do when we're going off and doing those things. We wouldn't forget the sunscreen. You know, we wouldn't think to not pack a sweatshirt because how hot can it be in the summer, you know, at the Grand Canyon, that kind of thing. 
But when it comes to something that really matters, like my friend who decided to get a divorce rather than really examine what was at the root of his problems, or losing 75 pounds, or starting a business, it's essential that you do all of those things and that you do them well. Mm. I, I like that. I mean, it, it totally makes sense to me. And um, and I believe, you know, the, those five steps, again, which I'll just repeat, you guys, for you out there listening, and you may want to just grab a piece of paper and, and a pen and write this down. You know, the first step, he said, was to establish a goal. And then second, how are you going to do it? Third, who's going to do whatever needs to be done? Fourth, timing on when to get each step done. And fifth, who's responsible for each step? And you can apply these five steps into whether it's your business, your career, or your personal life, and watch how things manifest when you write them out and really take the time to sit down and think about it and utilize this five-step process that Bill shared with you or shared with us. Um, you will be able to see a much clearer picture, and it won't be so scary to make the change because you've broken it down into little steps that you can now hold yourself accountable for, but then you can also see an end result at the end of each of those steps. So I think that's a beautiful thing, and I think that's very nice that Bill shared that with us all today. Now, are there mistakes people make when they're thinking about how to manage change? And if so, what are they? Well, shortchanging any or all of those steps uh, certainly includes that. If we're talking about a business setting, the biggest mistake made in business, and, re- and let me remind everybody, I'm not making these numbers up. This came from IBM, and it came, uh, their consulting service, and it came from McKinsey. There's a 60% failure rate in business in terms of goals. So we, we're graduating and adding to the workforce in excess of 100,000 new MBAs every year, to God knows how many millions that already exist, as well as undergraduate degrees in business, et cetera. We are the nation that probably is recognized for having the best business education uh, throughout the world, and still we can't do any better than almost a two-thirds failure rate. And it does come down to a number of things which apply in our personal lives, setting the wrong goal, uh, not paying enough attention to what it's going to take to achieve them, certainly not asking and getting the right kind of help, in business, realizing that you simply can't mandate 100% attention and effectiveness from your employees, even though they're sitting there and they're around the table and they're looking very attentive and all the rest of that stuff, you have to assume, because it is true, that they are sitting there thinking about uh, something that went wrong at home. Now, in our personal lives, there's a slight difference to that. You know, if we're going to lose that weight or we're going to stop smoking, Maybe we're already embarrassed by it, and we just don't go seeking the help that we're going to need. But we are going to need help. You can't do these things by yourself, whether it's support from family or friends and or professional help. There are, there are people you're going to need, just as is true in business. So you've got to sit down and figure out who that's going to be and where you're going to get it. And let me add real quickly, a lot of times we gravitate toward those around us, particularly family, because they're family. Those may be the worst people to attempt you to, to deal with some of the issues that you want to do. So really think about who do you need. Don't think about individuals when you do this, but think about what type of input and help do you need. And once you've identified that, then start looking around to see who has that, that skill set, who can do this, who can help me with it. And those are the people you want to try to enlist to help you. Very nice. Thank you for that because I think um... – um, people need to hear that, especially the one about uh, 
you know, the people around you. You know, a lot of times um, family, as much as their heart may be into, you know, helping support you and doing good, can be the worst. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I'm going yeah. to say the worst, you know, because they see, and I, and I hate to, you know, keep dwelling on the overweight person, but I'm sorry, it's an epidemic in our society, and I see it, it's not getting better, even though there's more light to to it or more awareness about it, it's getting worse. And so, you know, you're overweight, and your family members are like, oh, no, honey, you're, you're not, you're not fat, you're not overweight, you're, you're just, you're just big boned and, you know, knowing doggone well that, they need to be telling you or they know they need to be telling you, yeah, you're fat and you need to lose weight or else you're not going to be around. But instead of saying that, they coddle you and, you know, they continue to feed that 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 bad reality instead of helping you to support you to make the change that's going to be beneficial to all of them and all of everyone around because you'll still be around. You won't be fat. You won't be dying of heart disease or stroking out or diabetes or something like that. So um, I, I liked how you mentioned that because it's, I think it's really important for people to take a look at who's around you and who can re- who really, really, really is going to support you authentically with helping you to make the change. Not stroke your ego because it's something that feels good to you, but who really is going to be authentic with you and call you on things that you need to, you know you need to change and help you to support you in that, that manner where it's authentic but loving um, and guide you to, to, that, to make that change. Now, is wanting something to change enough to make it happen? You know, I, I want... I want to. I want to have a new car. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. I've been, you know, I've got college tuition I'm paying and stuff. But doggone it, I'm gonna keep wanting to change the car driving to a a new car that I want. Um, is, is that reality? Yeah, <laughs> you, you you know you know the answer, don't you? <laughs> you know, I want to win the lottery. Um, yeah. I, I want to, I want to win it really bad too, by the way. I don't want to just kind of win it. I really <laughs> want to win it. And I'm not sure there's anybody wants to win it more than me, even though everybody listening is going to tell you that it is them, <laughs> but we all know how that's working out for me, don't we? So no, it, it doesn't work that way. You know what, if it did, I mean, and again, using the examples because they're so prevalent in society of of weight and smoking and substance abuse, which is smoking, and and I don't I don't just mean drugs. I mean alcohol. You name it. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I'll use a personal example. I mean, you I, you know I I'm tomorrow. I am married 44 years. That's a Ooh, long time. Congratulations. That's a yes. That is. I saw congratulations. You, you don't look that you don't look that old. <laughs> yeah. Well, there it is. Whoop! There it is. So. <laughs> You know, and it's like I look back and I think, God, how did my wife put up with me? I wouldn't have put up with this, you know. <laughs> and, and what happens is we get comfortable in our uh, using personal relationships. We get comfortable in our personal relationships for what they are. I don't need anybody to tell me how I should be better in my personal reaction with my wife. Making that happen and doing it consistently is difficult. I mean, it's not impossible. Nothing's impossible, but it's difficult because we fall back into our our comfortable ways. Now, I don't want to make myself out to be an ogre here. I mean, I've, we've made it 44 years, but the fact of the matter right. is I could absolutely see things that, that I should do better. I'm a father of two, you know, adult young men that are 
just great young men. I'm real pleased with the way they're turning out. Um, and yet I can also look back and see things who can't that, you know, that we, I wish I had done differently. I would like to right. do differently that I tell them, don't you be like dad when it comes to that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just reality of life. And the other part of that is that you have to cut yourself some slack, acknowledge this, you go find these things that you want to change these goals that we've been talking about that you want to improve upon the stuff that you no longer want to do, find them. But don't beat yourself up for doing them because you're not unique. You're not any different than anybody else, whether it's your inability to lose weight or stop smoking or to make a decision about a new job. Whatever it is, you are absolutely in the majority. So get over that. Don't persecute yourself for it, but don't allow it to continue either. Keep working to make those changes. Basically, keep striving to move forward. You know, it's... that, that's beautiful. I mean, I, I love the fact that you've been married 44 years because, you know, nowadays in society, if you're married five, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, so it, you, you know what I'm saying? People yes, just, I do. They see it's like there's a problem that occurs in the marriage. They see a shiny, again, that squirrel, that shiny object over there, and they just want to make a change. And it's like, uh, but that's a whole other show. We'll, we'll have to talk about that in another yeah, time. But. It, you know, and we've we've had we, honestly using my marriage as an example. Don't for a minute doubt that there haven't been significant problems. One of which kind of relates back to what we're talking about. When when I started that company that grew to 400 people, mm-hmm. first of all, it did on the heels of getting laid off from a number of different companies and being dissatisfied about that and having this idea that I hatched in my head and I worked and worked on late at night in the upstairs bedroom while I was employed by somebody else. And when I finally got laid off from that job because things weren't going well in that company, and I'd been telling my wife, you know, that I'm upstairs planning this and, you know, honey, one of these days I'm going to do this. And it's, you know, it's, and she just, oh, that's wonderful. That's great. She was Mrs. Vice President. You know, she was married mm-hmm. to the guy who was working in somebody else's company. So when I got laid off, I came home and I remember telling her, I said, you know what? I've got good news. Now, some of it might be bad to you, but, you know, I think it's generally good news. (laughs) We had a two-year-old at the time, and she was pregnant with our then second son, you know, on the way. Mm -hmm. Well, I got laid off today. But the good news is, you know that company I've been working on? I'm starting it. Well, that was the beginning of a discovery that my wife, who wasn't comfortable with change, was much more suited to be married to some vice president of somebody's company rather than the guy trying to start something in the upstairs bedroom. And like most startups, it did not go well at first. I mean, it was a real struggle for three years before I finally got some traction. And I've, I've taught an extension class about this on entrepreneurism at local colleges. <clears throat> and, of course, everybody in those classes has got what they think is the best idea ever. None of them have a business plan that's of any consequence. But I ask them, have you been discussing this with the people in your lives whose support you're going to need, your husbands, your wives, your boyfriends, your girlfriends, significant others, whatever? Because you need their, you at least need to know where they are on this. And I used myself as an example. We came so close to divorce. If we could have afforded it, we probably would have done it during that startup mm-hmm. period. Because mm-hmm. I totally did not understand my wife's view on this, even though we were having these superficial discussions, I just totally misread that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you cannot do these things. I don't care what it is. You cannot do these things by yourself. You're going to need various forms of support. And you've got to identify, again, who that is. And the worst thing you can do is do what I was doing back then, as in assuming that there was no problem when, in fact, there was. 
Mm. Very well said. Thank you for sharing that. I can totally relate to all of what you said and um, and would tell my story with regards to me and my husband starting a business. And it uh, sounds like you were in the Silicon Valley at one time. Was it, is that true? No, uh, Southern California, but my clients are, are consumer electronic and technology companies. So all up and down the West Coast, all the way up to okay. Washington for Microsoft, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting. I, I've been married quite a while, too. And, um, yeah, we, we had some issues with, you know, back in the 80s getting laid off and Silicon Valley and, you know, oh, let's just start a business. You know, it, it, but yeah. lo and behold, you know, we still have a business 23, year late, 23 years later. But, um, yeah, totally. I could totally relate. And because we're getting up on our time, can you, in 30 seconds, can you say one what is the single most important thing to know about managing change? If you can just give me something in 30 seconds, that would be fabulous. Think about what is going to change in your life, regardless of whether or not you do anything, before it changes. You will come up with a list that will astound you. And you might add to that, think about the things that you want to change that won't change if you don't take some action. Focus on those, use those steps, and you're way ahead of the game. Beautiful. Thank you, Bill, so much for being a guest on the show. Now tell people how they can get more of you or, <coughs> excuse me, with regards to your book, Change Your Approach to Change, The Seven Keys to Change. Tell us how we can get um, get what you have out there. Well, you can go to Amazon, and it's the number seven, The Seven Keys to Change, and you'll find it there. Uh, the website for it is all one word, the seven keys to change.com. So the, and then the number seven, change, uh, keys to change.com. WilliamMatthews.com, you'll find me there. Uh, that's William, and then Matthews, M A T T H I E S, as in Sam.com. My company is Coyote Insight, two words, and CoyoteInsight.com, you'll find me there as well. So, all of the above and the other places you expect, G Plus and LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm, I'm out there. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Blissful Living. Change is definitely a subject that creates a lot of internal and external stress for people. And I loved your insight and your sharing, and I particularly love the five steps that, um, that you gave us. It was beautiful talking to you. And uh, thank you so much. Well, I've enjoyed it too, Rochelle, and I wish you and and your audience the best. You know, change is going to happen. Just try to take charge of more of it and affect more of it, and you're you're going to be happy you did. Thank you. And to all of you guys out there listening, thank you for listening to Blissful Living. It has been fabulous to have you listening to the show and listening to Bill Matthews with his expertise and how we can better handle change in our lives so that we're not stressing out about it. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous. And as always, I'm wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next week, have a fabulous week, and goodbye for now. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.